Welcome to the Politics and Bros podcast. It's June 15th, 2020. This is episode 19. Things are getting a little bit better, a little bit more tolerable, but we're still under quarantine for the most part, or under whatever it is, lockdown. But um, things are looking pretty decent. I'm Pete. I'm with Howell. Howell, how are things going with you, man? One's up. I'm pretty proud of an, my pretty proud of my new mic. I was about to say, is this in honor of your new of your new microphone? <laughs> I figured we should class up the joint a little bit, so I thought uh, people had told me that my audio was overrun by yours, so I thought I would get a mic. And uh, how do I sound? You sound great. You really do. Lovely. It's actually it actually looks really good on the uh, on the recording app because it looks like our our levels are equal when we talk now. That's what I was striving for. So, um, <laughs> yeah, man, um, things are all right. Uh, you know, second wave of COVID coming. It's really just mm-hmm. the first wave, but, you know, we'll deal with that. Like I think we said earlier in this, a couple episodes ago, I think we've made the decision as a country to not really, we're not going to lock down again. So we'll see how this work plays out. But um, uh, it's been nice to, get out more um mm-hmm. certainly seeing more people and seeing friends and um we're trying to be responsible you know no gatherings of more than 10 15 people but um starting to kind of live life again it's been nice here in chicago yeah well has been great yeah, yeah. The, it came out today um i think this is based on data from like june 11th or 12th that illinois is had the largest decrease in uh, new coronavirus cases in the country. Oh, and wow. The, high, the highest is, uh, the largest increase is the state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something to look forward to. But we're to. We had still some... in the aggregate probably more than Arizona. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably true. Right. But uh, uh, yeah. we had some socially distanced events, socially distant events this weekend, my son's uh, fifth birthday, and oh. uh, we had family come over and we did an outdoor thing with uh, the kids and my brother-in-law and his wife and my in-laws and we had a socially distant block party there? on my block so that was great were the grandparents at teddy's birthday they were my mother was not obviously because she's in atlanta but right. uh, my in-laws were there and uh, my brother-in-law and his wife brought their girls and they had a great time they were they is there any mask wearing at this event there was no mask wearing at this event because we were outside we figured it was it was it was safe, and we were staying pretty far apart. I mean, the kids all sat at one table, but the adults, um, we I think for the most part, we recognized you know five six feet away from each other. What is your and, personal policy on mask? Um, f- as long as you're not, if you're family and you're not showing it, you haven't had symptoms or you haven't been quarantined recently or anything like that, uh, I, it's fine. Um, but if I'm out at the store or I'm out and about around strangers, I'm I'm wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this whole, the whole mask thing is, it's funny how wearing a mask can become political, but of course everything is these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think I was reading somewhere where um, people don't, people refuse the mask because it infringes upon their freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, people, (laughs) first off, explain, (laughs) Your rights don't extend indefinitely, right? You can't yell fire in a crowded, um, crowded uh, theater. 
um, you know, you can't, I mean, using that logic, drunk driving should be fine, right? Hey, I have the choice to get drunk and drive, but you know, it's not your freedom. It ends where my threat begins. Um, so, you know, I think my personal, I personally am pretty lax with the, I wear it when I have to, I wear it in like stores or any place I can't socially distance. But if I'm walking around or running or riding my bike, I just give everyone a wide berth and, and social distance. So, mm -hmm. um, but still I think, yeah. you know, I think one of the things that has become apparent to me is that, you know, we're kind of going in a direction that a lot of ep epidemiologists predicted. Like if you don't, you know, kind of quash the virus and then develop strong contact tracing and testing, you're going to probably have it linger. And that seems to be what's happening, but you know, we've made our decision as a country and for better or worse, um, probably 200,000 people are going to die from this, but, uh, you know, at least the stock market's doing great. <laughs> well, not the last couple of days because now they're worried about the second wave. But right, well, it was up. You know, today. everybody's. What's that? It ended up today. Oh, it did end up today. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't watch, but yeah, yeah. There's everybody's talking about these days the the quarantine fatigue or the the lockdown fatigue or whatever they're calling it. And, I mean, um, it's real. I agree with it. Oh yeah. Um, but I mean, I think it's been made worse by the fact that like we had no sort of unifying message throughout all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if we had kind of rallied the flag and been like, we can get through this together, let's all get on the same page and do this. And, you know, even if it just meant like not keeping the restrictions in place three, two, three, four more weeks, maybe we could have gotten to a point where we had it in a place where we felt like we could mitigate anything, any new outbreaks, but mm -hmm. we never got to that point. And so, here we are. Anyway, that's not what we're going to talk about tonight. We've talked about COVID enough. Yeah, I agree. What would you like to talk about, Pete? Um, you know, it, it's it's all kind of meshed up into one, unfortunately. Like, uh, everything happening with... Well, before you jump in, do you want to talk oh. about the the Supreme Court case today? Oh, yeah, that would be, that'd be nice, actually. Uh, so the Supreme Court today, in a 6-3 to three ruling with... Uh, Justices Neil Gorsuch and Chief Justice John Roberts um, uh, going. The court day. decided that that essentially uh, you cannot discriminate on sexual orientation, uh, which is huge, because for the longest time there's been this debate on whether you know you could never discriminate on sex, or you couldn't since the '60s, or uh, that was that was outlawed in the '60s by the court. But did sex apply to sexual orientation? Mm -hmm. And finally, there is a a ruling to say, well, it does apply to sexual orientation too. So um, there was a big thing. The the LGBT community would always say you could get married on a Sunday and then fired on a Monday. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of was their rallying cry for a long time. And now, of course, that is going to be illegal. So mm -hmm. uh, it's a good, great, great civil rights case. Uh, it looks like, you know, I think this is a good move, uh, obviously. Uh, it moves the country forward in a good direction. And I think it's kind of a healing, somewhat of a healing event based on everything that's been going on. But yeah, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I a, mean, it's a small piece in the, of a healing event. I, I said to someone, I said, you know, if there is, you know, if, if we can sort of build off this, maybe some people can um, kind of take a step back and realize that 
what they, you know, the so-called court packing maybe isn't as big of a deal as, as everyone has kind of made it out to be hysterically over the last four or five years, you know, um, mm-hmm. conservative judges generally tend to observe precedent and kind of take the pulse of the nation into consideration. Um, and, you know, I think this ruling affirms that or can or sort of helps say that, look, we still have a rule of law here. We're still moving forward as much as much as has gone wrong over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we have done some things right. <laughs> and and the courts have been, I think, one of the institutions that have kind of held firm over the last four years of just kind of slow progress, judicial, you know, judicious decisions. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was certainly happy to see the result. Um, and nice to see it's kind of poetic justice that, you know, but Gorsuch supporters probably who, you know, would not have wanted this ruling. He was kind of the one that put it over really over the top. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's already been a bunch of, uh, conservatives on, uh, you know, ultra uber evangelical conservatives that have been out there saying that, uh, uh, textualism has been hijacked because of this. Um, which, what does that mean? That's exactly, exactly. So well, I, uh, I made a I, comment to one of my conservative friends. I'm like, this is sickening judicial activism. You know, to turn <laughs> to turn his phrase back on, on you know what he calls all the liberal judges' rulings, judicial activism. Well, it, there's another guy that I follow on Twitter who we actually used to work together in the Senate, and he's 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 super super evangelical conservative Christian, and uh, he was like, "It's a it's high time that we stop, uh, you know, asking for these promises during the during the confirmation process for Supreme Court justices. They're really just uh, politicians with lifetime appointments." He's like, we need to get more concrete. I don't even know where he was going with it. Yeah. It's like, how, well, how do you get more concrete? If you, you can't, you can't ask these guys to sign a contract while they're being confirmed that they'll only vote a certain way on certain issues. Um, but it's he was basically lamenting the fact that, you know, Gorsuch and and Roberts followed what they believed was the law, the letter of the law, uh, and the intent of the laws. Um, so I don't. Yeah, he kind of he went off, and I, th- I definitely lost a few brain cells reading his his tweet. I just wanted to play that again for you. You're having fun with that. Good for you. Probably. All right, now we can talk about what you wanted to talk about this week. I mean, I'm I'm a little nervous to talk about it just cuz of our white privilege. Well, I don't want to I'm not I don't want to talk about Black Lives Matter as as a movement. I just kind of want to talk about everything that has been kind of encapsulated by Black Lives Matter and like what some kind of, of the, the fallout from the fallout, what some of the demands, what people have been asking for, whether they've been articulate about asking for it or not, or, you know, that sort of thing. And then even some of the kind of more extreme responses, and we'll get into that in a couple of minutes, but, um, you know, I just keep, I've noticed for certainly the last couple of weeks that cancel culture has gotten super out of hand and Twitter mobs and um, you know, people have done some stupid shit the last couple of weeks when it comes to, you know, white men doing stupid shit, like basically verbally and or physically attacking 
um, people of color as they've been passing out flyers or just being there. And then obviously they've been filmed and then they've been hunted on Facebook and Twitter and saying, you know, we got to get this guy and people have been misidentified and those lives were thrown into complete upheaval. And then when they finally got the right guy, you know, nobody's allowing sort of, you know, a traditional investigation to happen on, on some of these things. They're, they're trying to adjudicate them this, this themselves through social media. And it's, I just find it really troubling. Um, Which uh, examples are you thinking of specifically? Well, there was one actually here in, um, well, in River Forest, which was the the, the village next oh, yeah. to mine. You told me about the guy. That, yeah. You mentioned it at the end of last episode. Yeah, yeah. He was in a what he was in the grocery store. Well, he was in the grocery store at the Starbucks in the grocery store ordering, and something happened, and a black woman uh, accused him of calling her a accused him of calling her a black bitch and something and some other things. So she followed him out to the parking lot, filming him, asking him why he would say such a thing. And finally he had enough and he swiped at her phone to knock it out of her hand. And then an altercation, which you can't really see on the video, you can see very little um, ensued and, and you know, whatever he put hands on her, which is the dumbest thing in the world to do. You know, even if she weren't black, you just don't put hands on, on a woman period. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so immediately like the Twitter mob was like, we have to identify him and they identified him really quick and they were, they were correct in their identification. Um, but he eventually turned himself into police and then he was charged with uh, felony hate crime uh, and assault. So, oh. yeah. So I don't, I don't know what, what's happened since then. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a while before this is, this whole thing is taken, taken care of in the, in the, in the, in the judicial system. But you know, that's one instance where the Twitter mob actually found the right guy right off the bat but then there was the one that happened in dc and bethesda oh, yeah I, I just pulled that that article up yeah yeah like i think it was it might have been rock creek park or it was one of the offshoot offshoot parks near rock creek park in bethesda maryland he was biking he saw three you know older teenage so i guess like 19 and 20 year old um african-american kids i think two women and a guy putting up signs and uh, for I'm, I'm assuming for a rally of some kind or some sort of gathering and he went off and I think he knocked one of them to the ground with his bike. And all they had was a picture of a white guy wearing sunglasses that covered mm -hmm. up a good part of his face and a bike helmet and whatever his outfit was. And they identified like Twitter identified two different people that weren't even the guy. And yeah. they got flooded with phone calls. They had to change they their doxed. numbers. Their addresses were put out there. They were doxxed completely um, until the actual guy was identified. And he was, I think he was only identified because he turned himself in. Um, I might be wrong on that, but I think it's because he turned himself in. Yeah. But still, it's like you didn't get it right, and you shouldn't try and adjudicate these things over social media. And there's no let... consequences either. For... There's no consequence. These people yeah. don't have to. They don't. They're not going to get sued for misidentifying this guy. Nobody's going to come after them. It's, you know, they. So they're free to do it from now on. Um. So it's a little, little scary. It's a little, little scary. Yeah. Um. I read the Olivia Nuzzi article and. Uh, New York Magazine mm -hmm. titled "What It's Like to Get Doxed for Taking a Bike Ride." Yep, um, and yeah, it's pretty scary um, what can happen. I mean, I, you know, my whole my whole take, and this is a hot take on um, cancel culture, is like, you know, the things that are legit stick. Um, I mean, you know. Uh, look at um nascar this week they they uh 
announced they no longer allow the Confederate flag to be flown in their at their races. And you know, um, I'm sure there's a you know cancel NASCAR or um, movement amongst the you know the southern southern right. Um, so you know, but I'm guessing most people who kind of like the Confederate flag but also really like NASCAR are just going to keep watching NASCAR. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's for the, for these individuals, it can be really scary, but these kind of larger movements like um, delete Facebook or, you know, whatever it's like, okay, right. you know, I, I know you got, you guys, you're weak. You're going to, you're going to not check Facebook for a week. Then you're gonna be like slowly creep back, you know? So, um, but it is out of control. Like the, everyone's first instinct is to like, oh, well, we're not going to, we get, we got to, stop this person can't have a good life anymore because they're eternally evil and i think a good um a good uh kind of example of of how we probably should act is you know the guy who recorded the woman in central park when he was bird watching who turned Mm -hmm. him into police yep um you know he was very remorseful like a couple days later about what had happened to to the woman um and he was like, you know, just because this one incident happened, you know, doesn't mean her whole life needs to be ruined. And I think we could all kind of take a take a, a cue from from that gentleman. I can't remember his name, but um, you know, we're, we 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 should be more forgiving. Is my point. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's even reporters, good reporters out there who are, are starting to get canceled because they've had. I mean, anybody who gets canceled, it's because they have a they have a, a nuanced opinion or a nuanced uh, observations on how events unfold, and because they're not just looking at it through the lens of emotion, they're right. they're using reason and logic, and they're getting canceled because it doesn't. You know, they're either being accused of being tone deaf uh, to everything that's happening around them, or you know, some other reason, and you know, that's, that's scary too. And I've got a nuanced, <clears throat> a nuanced opinion about, um, uh, the Richard, uh, Brooks shooting in Atlanta this past week. Um, but I'm sure if I were to voice it, I'd get just, you know, crucified for it. Right. It's black um, or white. You're either, you're either a racist or who, you know, defends the cops mm-hmm. or you're, or you're, you know, sympathetic and believe there should be yeah. Uh, right. And yeah. there's I mean there's plenty of Republicans and they're and they're right to say this I think in in my mind they're saying that you know George Floyd is a clear-cut case of just absolute unnecessary police brutality. Mm-hmm. And they don't think that same it's it's they do not believe it's as clear-cut with the Richard uh Brooks case. And I agree with that. Now, should the cop have used deadly force? Absolutely not. Uh, hell no. Not, not at all. I think that was certainly an over, you know, it was not appropriate at all. Um, but there were other circumstances there wrestling with, you know, he was being placed under arrest. He was fine until the first, you know, till one cuff got on and then he went nuts and started wrestling with the two cops. He grabbed their taser and shot it at them. And then did you watch the video? I did. It's I disturbing. On, and it, it actually, it doesn't make me sympathetic for the officer. Um, it's just a sad situation all around completely mm-hmm. um, on both sides. Um, you know, a guy running from a cop, even, w- you know, even after shooting a taser does not deserve two bullets in the back. They could have pursued him on foot. He was drunk. They could have got him pretty quickly. Right. Um, but 
then again, why in the world, if you were under arrest for a DUI, even if it's a, 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 multi, a second DUI or something like that, or, you know, or you're, you know, whatever. Third, three strikes if, and you're out. Yeah, or whatever. Why would you wrestle with two police officers? It, why would you initiate a wrestling match with two police officers and then grab one of their weapons? You're hammered. Uh, you know, yeah, but still, I, I don't, I don't think that would occur to me if I were. Well, I don't know. It's not fair to say that, but you know, but but still, it's going to be used as as an additional rallying cry, which, in some respects, it should, but it should still be approached with a little bit of caution uh, that it's not as clear cut of a case as George Floyd. But well, and I think it hasn't gotten sort of the same uh, upswell. George Floyd did as well. So maybe sure. there is some element of the public that recognizes that. Um, one thing I would say is that, and maybe this isn't necessarily cancel culture, but it's more like boycott culture. You have our commander in chief also playing a part in this saying he's not going to watch soccer or the NFL or NBA if right. they kneel in the anthem. So, you know, like it doesn't help when the guy who's supposed to we're supposed to be looking up to for leadership and how we should act and to lead us through all this is is sort of driving the wedge further into into the issues um so you know tweeting, tweeting law and order every every other day what's that he and he keeps on tweeting law and order like that's <laughs> it and i heard i heard recently and i looked it up it long enough it'll happen well, I, it's it's funny because I heard I heard something and I looked it up and it's true. Like people have been responding to him, like "No, CSI Miami," <laughs> like, or like some other crime show, or CSI LA, or Law and Order SVU is better. Chicago Homicide. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I just thought that was yeah, really funny. I, mean, I, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> you could have had like a hundred thousand likes. That's true. Oh, God. So. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he is just also not like I, I don't. Was it you or someone just or maybe we talked about it last time, but Trump just wants to be a pundit. He doesn't want to be president. He just wants to be able to chime in mm -hmm. and and, you know, stir up things, get sort of a response, whether it's good or bad. And then walk off. It's not it's not a way to lead. Well, he's also, he's a one-man focus group, too. He's, it seems like he gets together with his inner circle. They kind of talk about, like, what the what the media message should be for that particular day. And no, no matter how just crazy or screwed up it is, they go out and they run with it. And they mm -hmm. see if it sticks. Yeah. And he's a consumer of media. And that's what he makes his decisions. That's what they're based on. And it's, sure. that's, I think that's probably the most troubling thing about him is that it's not a set of principles, it's not a moral compass, it's a media message that he thinks is going to resonate with, you know, some subset of the population. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, that, I mean, that freaks me out. It just, it just does. Well, and it's, yeah. And it's no president has ever done a way to lead a country. It's a way to lead a, a like a segment you're trying to target in advertising. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, um, it's sad. Um, but, um, so, you know, on that note about how his, his team sort of has responded. I think one, the next item we, we wanted to talk about is one they really want to play up with sort of um, how the Democrats are going to respond to this, and that's defunding the police, that mm -hmm. that that slogan. Yeah, I think this is 
and it's funny because you know since that people are saying well defunding the police doesn't mean abolishing the police i'm like well for some of you it means that right for people in minnesota for people in minneapolis it means that for the minneapolis city council it means that um you know the new york times had a editorial or something that said when we say defund the police we mean in the police yeah yeah. Which and then they and then they go after Tom Cotton for having radical ideas in their editorial pages. So it, right. I mean, it's just it blows my mind. Like Tom Cotton was wrong in everything he said. I mean, he had a right to be published and have a right. I mean, he's he's a senator for God's sakes. He has a right to say things, and we it's we have a right to know what our leaders think. Uh, just like people have a right to talk about defunding the police in those editorial pages. But why was that? Why was that appropriate? And Tom Cotton's op-ed piece wasn't kind of. That's that's a question I have for the New York Times, which I hopefully I'll ask them at one point. But you know, tweet. I'll tweet at them. But defunding the police is—I mean, it's a very—it's interesting to me. Somebody said, and I, I don't think it's necessarily untrue that you know, if you know Minneapolis were to go ahead with defunding or abolishing the police force, um, it will become the domestic abuse capital of the world. Um, somebody tweeted that, and and I don't—you know—I think there's some truth to that. You know, and that's that that's what people need to consider when you talk about defunding or abolishing police or, you know, somehow moving public safety to some community group, policing group, or for lack of a better word, you have to understand that things are going to change when it comes to crime, when it comes to protection. Uh, <laughs> I don't think people are considering any of that. I think they're using their emotions uh, a little bit more, you know, wildly here. Um, and then with things sort of developing in Seattle with the, I mean, it's not even called the Chaz anymore. It's called the chop. Um, oh, it's not the Capitol Hill autonomous zone anymore. No. Well, some of them are still calling that now. Some of them are trying to call it the Capitol Hill um, occupation zone or occupied zone. Um, Cause they're afraid there, I heard, I heard somebody said if there was, they were afraid that if autonomous was in there, that they would be seceding from the United States and they don't want to be, they don't want to renounce their citizenship. They want to be us citizens. Uh, so they're trying to change it to occupied or, or, or uh, something else, but not how that works, folks. Yeah, I don't know, but it's but it's they, one of their stated goals is to abolish is to abolish the police force and abolish the courts and the the judicial system, um, the criminal courts. So, you know, I think they're creating the and Trump's right, man, to seize on that because it creates a lot more questions than it does answers. Thankfully, Biden has come out and leaders on Capitol Hill have come out saying this is not this is not a good idea. This is not mm-hmm. smart. Um, but, you know, these ideas take hold. I mean, I kind of feel like with with the Chaz or Chopper or whatever in Seattle, it's it's the Occupy Wall Street people coming out, it finding is. a new thing again. Mm-hmm. And they're tr- it's another go at it. They're taking another swing to see if they can they can either re-engineer the economy to fit what they think it should be or or create some sort of social change that they didn't get the last time around you know there's the possibilities are endless but um i think it's more i I blame where at least for the for the capitol hill issue in seattle i blame more of crony i blame blame crony capitalism and i blame inaction by congress and government in general to, mm-hmm. that have put people in this position where they feel like they're only the only thing they can do is kick cops out of a precinct and take over a six block area of a major US city 
um, and try and make it their own commune or utopia or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, I don't even think it's necessarily a response. I think they're using Black Lives Matter as a uh, as the conduit to do it. I don't think that's the, but I don't think that's why. I think they've been wanting to do this for a long time, uh, and the BLM. Uh, protests and everything from the last couple of weeks that gave them the opportunity to try and do this again. Um, yeah. I, I, I haven't followed it too closely. Um, but I think you're right that they, the initial sort of jolt was anti-police, anti-law enforcement. We're going to take over. We're going to be our own law enforcement. We're going to have a peaceful society, which by the way, I don't know if you've seen, um, there's like some like wannabe rapper who claims he's the the head of the the chop. Yeah. Have you seen this guy? I have. Um, I do think we should quickly also later talk about the differences in the way um, the right wing media and the mainstream media are covering this as well. But yeah, we can talk about that in a minute. Um, but I, I, it has evolved into more, like you said, it's the Wall Street or Occupy Wall Street. Um, tribe and uh, my my general sentiment is is you know let it run its course like these people are gonna get tired and um, you know you you don't you don't end up as a wall uh, occupy Wall Streeter by having a by being a you know a McKinsey consultant or mm-hmm. you know what I mean like yeah it's it's probably not full of like um, Harvard MBAs and uh, and you know, uh, Stanford engineers. Um, you know, it's 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 you know people who are idealistic who probably have been left behind a little bit and mm-hmm. um, want to say their piece for a little bit, and then they'll probably get tired and break it up in you know three, four weeks or maybe months, but whatever. Occupy Wall Street. You know, ultimately, kind of slowly, government just kind of eroded their their um, territory and took it back and it was over mm. yeah and i think with with uh with seattle i think the issue too i mean it's one of those cities not too dissimilar from san francisco or or, or washington dc or, or new york city that has become increasingly more and more expensive it's pushed out artists and people who work in the service industry and can't, they can't afford to live there anymore. And that's created a lot of angst and people, you know, I would say, well, then you need to find a new city to live in and create a whole, you know, and have your whole new place to be. But, you know, that's not feasible for everyone. Not everybody can just pick up and move to a new city or a new town. Mm-hmm. that's cheaper. Um, they want to be where there's culture and they want to be where the place where there's theaters and music venues and art galleries and that sort of thing. And, you know, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a proponent for rent control, but I understand why people are. Um, so I think that has a lot, you know, being able to live, being able to have housing and is, is a big, is a big issue. And nobody's moved on this. You know, I think Seattle, especially when they try to do the Amazon tax to deal with the homeless problem, uh, which is huge in Seattle, um, they didn't do anything. They didn't, they, you know, they just, they thought they could tax big big tech and it would solve all the problems, but they didn't have a plan outside of taxing and coming up and just having a pot of money. What are you going to do with that money? And you, you know, it's, then crime happens, persists and, you know, it's, well, if, if anything good can come from sort of maybe the 
defund the police conversation. At least we could talk about like, you know, using things like that pot of money for constructive Mm -hmm. urban programs um, that, uh, you know, but I think it does need to be um, constructed in a careful way, not just throw money at it so that it just doesn't become another, you know, appendage of the welfare state as well. Well, and there needs to be more responsible reporting about the about the police and and its but in their budgets. Um, as some, I think it was the Urban Institute did a report a couple weeks ago that came out a couple weeks ago that talked about how since nineteen late seventies, I think, um, till now, police budgets on average throughout the country have either doubled or tripled, uh-huh. um, which actually made me think like, wow, that's actually pretty stable. <laughs> like that in 30 years or 40 years, it's only doubled. Um, like, but when you actually look at, you break it out by services from a, from a city or a village or a town or whatever, you know, education is always at the top. Social services is always up there, but police and fire on average throughout the country is four and 3% of municipal budgets respectively. So it's not like these things are eating up budgets the way that people right. think they are. Now that doesn't mean that some of the some of the resources and, and police shouldn't be trained in certain ways. I think one thing that I found really interesting about the Chicago Police Department is that you had to have a college degree to be a cop up until ten or fifteen years ago, and now it's then it was knocked down to I think to an associate's degree, and now I, I don't know what it is now, but there was a time where you had to have a four year college degree to be a Chicago police officer, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of that I found really interesting. I mean, I don't know if that's feasible, but I thought that was kind of neat. Um, I don't I mean, think a lot of these, a lot of these people you know, they like to look towards our European friends for mm-hmm. models of, and they're not over there calling for to defund the police. Like, um, you know, look at maybe maybe they have better training programs, and maybe they have more, like you said, we we've said more 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 of a social net, but like. Um, they can co- their police forces and their their public coexist fairly peacefully you know some of these countries have killed like eight people over mm-hmm. the last police forces over the last several years whereas we've killed hundreds um so just kind of an interesting uh, comparison um, yeah but yeah i'm i'm glad to see that the the democratic leader democratic leadership doesn't seem to be immediately caving towards kind of this far left desire um and you know people even bernie sanders is like no (laughs) yeah people like alan omar are kind of they're allowed to say their piece but you know joe biden's like you know we can have the conversation but I'm not going to promise anything. And, yeah. you know, even the, the mayor of Minnesota stood, or sorry, Minneapolis stood up yeah, there. Just, that poor guy asked, you know, do you, do you agree that yes or no, that we should defund the police? And he said, he stood there and he said, no, I do not agree with that. And he took the booze. Um, and you know, I, I, I think that was leadership. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, can you imagine, president trump in that situation he would just say whatever got the applause right um and then you know but he's shameless anyway so you know it's i think it's encouraging to see that um 
they'll 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 give some oxygen to to sort of the conversation and the movement, but but they're not going to like welcome it with with you know open arms and and sort of bear hug it, right? Ugh. But again, none of this is in my expertise, so just just spitballing here. That's what we do every week, man. Every week, it's more like every two weeks. Every two weeks, it's true. But now you got your professional microphone, so we can we can make this thing sound great, worth it. Are you just playing a clip from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Is that all you're doing there? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> you need to do that opening sequence where he's like, they bought it. And he starts talking about the day. Oh. Um. So, yeah. So the Chaz. Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier kind of like you don't, you, know, you haven't followed. There's, you know, what's been going on there. I think there's definitely been competing media narratives there. There's been some that have kind of portrayed it as sort of a, you know, glorified drum circle where there's been um, lectures and documentaries on, you know, whatever on societies. And mm-hmm. then there's been the whole that rapper guy walking around with an AK 47 and people getting punched and beaten up and it's lawless. I think there's an element of truth in both of those narratives. Um, at least in my opinion, based on everything that I've read and consumed about, about what's going on in Capitol Hill and Seattle. Um, but yeah, it is I, interesting to see just like how biased, like everything on Fox news is like, Oh my God, it's a, it's a fucking war zone. And, and they're, beating, right. they're beating up Uber drivers and right. they're stealing food and whatever. And then you've got like the local it's news what the left wants to do to the whole country. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, and there has been, there has been, um, attempts like i think nashville had there was an attempt there that got put down pretty quick and portland as well and um but uh you know i think with uh seattle i think the mayor and the city council has encouraged a lot of this and and told the police to stand down and i feel bad for the seattle police department because i think if any police department in the country at least from what i've been reading for year for the last several years on on the homeless crisis there and how they've been trying to deal with um with uh with the homeless population you know trying to limit arrests and trying to do other things uh provide these folks with social services and addiction services and that sort of thing um i would say they're probably one of the most progressive police forces out there for any of the major american cities uh but they're just been completely shit on through this whole process um so i don't live there i'm sure there's way more to it than that i'm oversimplifying but you know from the outside looking in that's what i kind of see I just feel like if it was truly dangerous and truly a public health hazard and, mm-hmm. and you know, that the mayor would have sent in and shut it down. But, you know, I think they assessed the situation and said, okay, this is people who are peacefully protesting. Like, I don't know if, are their businesses shut down because they can't get in there? I don't know if, you know, yeah, is, I, it, is it affecting the economy? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's probably pretty minor in the grand scheme of Seattle, right? Um, people going about their business normally four blocks away. Um, and if it was truly violent and, and, and was about to get out of control and, you know, there's roving gangs with AK-47s, um, they would have probably put it down. And I'm, I'm guessing most of the people in there probably would have laid down their weapons too. Like, I don't get the sense that 
they're up for the fight unless of course there are some of those boogaloo boys in there um but uh did we talk about those guys we did not okay you know who i'm talking about don't you uh no remind me oh these are the um sort of apolitical uh kind of gun loving weapon loving um hiding in the fringe trying to incur oh yeah uh, armed conflict with um, law enforcement and the yep. government. Yeah. So there might be some of those guys in there, but um, I guarantee you they're not going to lead the charge. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it, it probably, I don't know. I, I, how much coverage should you give it? I don't know. Like I see things about it, but um, I haven't heard of anyone dying or any mass, like I said, um, impact on the economy there so i don't know i feel like it's getting the appropriate coverage but you know some of my conservative friends are like can you believe what's going on in seattle that's being taken over by the left i'm like well i don't know seattle's always always been pretty left yeah exactly (laughs) but i mean i do i do am horrified by this thing like you know kicking out cops out of their own precinct you know with basically having it blessed by the city government, mm-hmm. you know, to take over a six block portion of the city. I mean, that's, that's, it's a little horrifying. But, um, I mean, but don't you think it's not, it's kind of one of those, like, let the kids do their thing and you'll get your, you'll get back in there in like three to six weeks. Y- yeah. Yes. And no. I mean, I still kind it's of, a bad precedent. it's a I, bad precedent. Yeah. It's not, it, it, you know, it, I, I do believe in in law and order, you know, not to be not to use Trump's tweets, not CSI Miami, but not CSI. And I, I I guess it has come to a a head where you sort of can't avoid something like this, and that this sort of thing is going to happen. But but there's got to be better ways, and I think the people who organize this may have taken advantage taken advantage of a situation and preyed upon emotion to fuel everything that's happening there right now um but again i you know it's hard to believe what's being written about this and and how it's been going um Mm -hmm. so you kind of have to read everything consume it all and decide for yourself what you think is the truth um so maybe it is maybe it does it dissipates after a couple more weeks and they get some concessions from the city government and everybody goes back to goes back to their normal lives but what happens the next time that there's unrest i mean they just they're going to take over you know, city hall and, and start living there. And I mean, I just, I don't know. I just don't understand. I don't know where it ends. And, you know, it's not like Seattle doesn't have a very left leaning city council. I mean, they, they do have a socialist elected to their city council. They do have multiple liberal progressive Democrats on their city council as is their, their mayor. I I mean, I kind of, I got to feel like they can certainly achieve some victories to, you know, that satisfy their agenda. But what do I know? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing. I just saw a new headline about, uh, from the New York Post, Neil Gorsuch slapped conservatives by creating new gay rights. <laughs> Solid New York Post. Way to go. What a good publication that is. You know, sometimes they uh, they do really well and sometimes they do really bad. Anything else on the Chaz, the Chop, the Chaz? No, no, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I'm gonna really. It's gonna be really interesting to watch what happens over the next week or two there. Um, I I honestly think that it's it's gonna be like Occupy Wall Street, where everybody just kind of started ignoring it, and right. it, it was That's getting annoying. I think. That's what I think. And people are just gonna make fun of them. Right. Exactly. I remember driving by it in D.C. Yeah. Uh, and just being like, "Don't you guys want to take a shower now, or you know, go get Chipotle, or you know, like." I, I just felt felt kind of they kind of looked pathetic after a while. Yeah, and this will probably go that same way. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, so the last thing I was going to bring up too is uh, no, Georgia. Surprise topic: Georgia had their elections, oh, their primaries right. last week, and it did not go great. <laughs> Uh, touch screens yeah, I, I weren't working. Uh, they had multiple system failures on their voting machines, human error. It was just, it just didn't long lines. Uh, it really didn't help. Obviously this comes on the heels of the 2018 election with uh, governor Kemp and Stacey Abrams, where she accused uh, Kemp, who was the sitting secretary at the time of voter suppression and, and purging rolls, uh, voter rolls. Um, so this really just didn't help at all. It seems like the people who were poised to win the no- their nominations did. So I kind of feel like it worked out more or less, but right. it's still a little troubling that, you know, the state, especially since they postponed their primary because of COVID and had a little bit of extra time and also dedicated a lot of money. I think there was a uh, over a hundred million dollars for this new voting system and um, it just didn't work. How so, are the numbers, like the turnout numbers? Oh, so the polling places that had the new voting system, it wasn't, not every county had the new voting system, but the, in the polling places where they had that, so it was a pilot program, turnout for those counties was anywhere between 6 and 15%. I mean, that's that's sad. I'm no expert, but that seems low. That's a little low. But um, um, Well, what did you think about um, can you handicap the races from from that that came out of that as a Georgia resident or former Georgia resident? Former Georgia resident. Uh, let's see. Let's pull. Let's pull these up. We're gonna take a little look here. And I don't care about you know um, Macon, Georgia's representative. Oh no, I'm thinking like the you know the Senate race. You got both senators are up because and Collins and Loeffler. What's going on there? Okay, so in Georgia, you know, in mm-hmm. Georgia, in Georgia law, and it's a special election for Isaacson's seat. So, you know, Senator Loeffler, Kelly Loeffler, she got appointed to fill Isaacson's seat, but there still has to be a special election to finish out his term, which he right. has, I believe, two, had two more years left. Um, but it's it's anybody, anybody can be on it regardless of party for the special election. So on that same, you know, Georgia had a regularly scheduled Senate, Senate campaign or Senate uh, election for this coming November between sitting Senator... Um, uh, Purdue versus now John Ossoff will be the Democrat, but the special election will also be on the ballot and anybody can from any party can be on that. So it's going to be for the Republicans, Doug Collins, who's a sitting congressman versus Kelly Loeffler. Um, I think are probably going to be what it's going to come down to is those two. And it'll be the biggest vote getter um, will win the seat unless there ends up being a runoff. Gotcha. Um, I think Collins is going to win it. I think uh, Kelly Loeffler's got a lot of issues with the insider trading stuff. Also, I think uh, the conservatives are, the uber conservatives are upset with how she 
was a point why that she was appointed because she could self finance and you know whatever they they kind of view her as an outsider too because she's not originally from Georgia she's actually from Illinois um, even though she's lived in Atlanta for years um, and I think they all thought that 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 Congressman Doug Collins got slighted um, you know, he was the preferred Trump Trump candidate too or Trump uh, choice so I think actually Doug Collins is going to end up winning that special election um, and I just don't see any of the Democrats really pulling it off um joe lieberman's son is actually one of the people running but he hasn't really picked up oh really um yeah matt lieberman um i believe it's his son they're they are related i believe i believe it is his son though um so very interesting and then i think uh ossoff versus purdue i think John Ossoff, you know, he lost a special election to for a, a House seat to one of the worst Republican candidates ever. Who um, she ended up losing in the in the general election the next time around pretty badly. Um, to and a he's or to a Democrat. Uh, so she lost to a Democrat in the general in a general oh. election two years later. Oh, okay. Um, but I think that. Um, it's Karen Handel. She was the former uh, education superintendent for Georgia. She ran for a lot of offices, governor at one point, and just kind of started getting her butt kicked and never really winning elections. And then she won that special election to fill um, the House seat when uh, Congressman Tom Price got a, got appointed to be HHS mm-hmm. secretary. Um, so mm-hmm. Ossoff and her ran, and he, he lost. He didn't even live in the district that he was running in, and that was a big problem, even though you don't have to, but that's okay, you should. Right. Um, but Karen Handel was horrible, horrible choice. And then she, you know, shit the bed two years later and lost to a Democrat to a seat that's been, that was Newt Gingrich's seat forever. So, um, but I think with Ossoff, he, his personality is terrible. He, he checks all the boxes that you would want for a Democrat, for a progressive. But, um, at the end of the day, he's got zero personality. When you see him on TV, he kind of has this vacant look on his face the whole time and he's very very rehearsed in all of his answers um and i think that's gonna that hurts him in georgia a lot um purdue's a nice guy he's a good guy he's good on tv he's an, he was an executive he was the ceo of reebok at one point um you know do you to- do you do you buy that georgia is in play for the um presidential for the electoral college no not in 2020. Um, it'll be close. Done and done. It'll be close, I think. Um, I think if if Trump, you know, Trump will win, but by a couple points. I don't think it's going to be 10, 12 points. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't see that happening. I think there's enough. Um, I just think that there's. I think there's. A chance that if it were 2024, yeah, I think a, a Democrats could certainly win Georgia uh, for the presidential uh, nomination or for the presidential race. Yeah, but, I mean, but not 2020 um, yet. I saw an Arkansas poll came out that has Trump plus two, mm-hmm. which I think Arkansas was like plus 30 for the against Clinton. Yep. So. Well, and then, well, because Clinton had history in Arkansas, obviously. Sure. Texas, I, th- I saw they're even, which I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, I haven't seen any poll. I haven't seen any polls lately for Georgia, but I kind of feel like uh, 
like I think Trump pulls it out, but it's like two, three, four points. Not yeah. not a big I'm, margin. That's realistic. Yeah. Um, but you know, the fact that the RNC is spending money sort of defending Georgia the turf there is sure. that's something in itself. It is. And I think they're doing that all over the place though, too. I mean, there's very few states where I think he, there's very few states where he's a sure thing. I mean, there's, you know, there's a, there's a bunch, but there's, I think with North Carolina, Virginia, even Tennessee to some extent, uh, and Georgia, I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. I think Florida is a lock because of a, honestly, because of a large Jewish population, a large older population. Do you think Florida's a lock for Biden? No, for for Trump. Oh, okay. Um, but um, I don't see it for Ohio. I don't, you know, I definitely don't see it for Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of states in play that if Biden is smart and he goes to those states and he does things there and he says the right things, that he'll he'll lock up the nomination or he'll lock up the the, the election pretty easily. Um, but you know, time will tell. I think it's it's certainly Biden's race to lose, but Trump could certainly still win. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> that and the dollar will get you a cup of coffee. Let's wrap this shit up. Yeah, man. What are you into this week? So I have to thank my good friend BJ Rowling for turning me on to this. Um, found a podcast called the throwback podcast i like it uh and it is guys about our age talking about music that we like so they basically go back and relive an album anywhere from like 93 to 2006 2007 Mm -hmm. i don't know how they chose those years um but you know it's just a walk down memory lane every time the first, they're big Oasis fans, which people may know I'm a big Oasis fan. And so they, the first episode is randomly Be Here Now by Oasis. But then the next one is Hot Fuss by the Killers and then they nice. do the White Stripes and they go back and do other, they do Pearl Jam verses, and, um, you know, just all over the place, type of music we like. Um, and so it's been, and they go through track by track and talk about each one and um, it's fun. It's a, you know, one, one of the guys is a writes for the NFL network and the other one's a, is a writer in Hollywood. So, um, yeah, it's called the throwback podcast. Uh, if you're into white guy music, check it out. <laughs> you know, I am. <laughs> we'll give it a, give it a listen. Sweet. What about you? What are you uh, into? I'm, I'm into riding my bike. You learned to ride a bike? Congratulations. <laughs> no. Uh, so uh, several months ago, we finally emptied out our, our storage locker that we had for years um, that we had in Chicago when we lived here last time. And then we got it when we moved to D.C. And then I finally got everything out of there a few months ago. And my bike was in there. And uh, so I've been – COVID's given me the opportunity to just, like, ride my bike all around Oak Park. I ride it to my to – my, to work out with my trainer – um, I ride it to go mail stuff. Um, it's been fun. I, I just cool. haven't ridden a bike with regularity in a lot of years. So it's been, been great. Um, so riding the bike. That's one of the things I miss most this summer is, um, I work downtown and, and riding my bike 
down the lake to work in the morning and in the evenings is one of the my favorite things about about the summer Mm -hmm. and been able to do that lakefront's been closed although i did see it's opening june 22nd yep um but yeah i'm glad to hear you're into biking maybe we can go for a bike ride sometime we should it's a mountain bike so i i was always thinking i should get like a road bike but i i'm gonna see if i if i stick with this yeah and then maybe get a road bike. Because I, I know when everything opens back up, I want to be able to bike to the train, take the train in, and then um, go to my office that way. But uh, Do you know how many miles it is to downtown? Uh, as the crow flies, it's 7-something, seven, 7.2. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for, me to, for me to bike downtown, I'd have to bike through really bad neighborhoods. <laughs> and I'm a wit. And I'm and I'm a big and I'm a pussy, so I'm not going to do that. Confirmed. Yeah. So. Well, that's what I'm into. Until we bike ride, we'll just have to settle for golf. So. Oh, that's the other thing too. I'm into. I just bought a whole new set of clubs. <laughs> yeah. Won't help your game. <laughs> I don't know. They said it would, so we'll see when I get them. Well, we'll see. I'm going to play in a couple weeks, a couple times when we go to park city so and then when you get back you're gonna come play with me what's that and then when you get back you're gonna come play with me exactly lovely all right we're up at an hour although like maybe we're gonna cut it down with our long silences yeah a little bit okay but um follow us on twitter at bros politics listen to us on spotify and apple podcasts and uh howl thanks man let's go to the casino It doesn't get old, ever. <laughs> Later, Pete. See you, buddy. What could possibly go wrong?